Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and this is Your Strata Property. Today I am bringing you Rena's interview with Veronica Morgan and Chris Bates from their podcast, The Elephant in the Room. Now, Rena and I were both interviewed by Veronica and Chris, and a few weeks ago in our episode number 132, I brought you my interview. And if you haven't listened to that one or you need a refresher on exactly what's going on here, Veronica Morgan is a real estate agent, a buyer's agent, and the co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia. She's also a previous guest on this podcast. And you can check out episodes 55 and 115 for our chats with Veronica. And Chris Bates is a financial planner, a mortgage broker, and a wealth coach. And together they have a podcast, which they call the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast. And on that podcast, they are digging deep into what is really going on in the world of real estate. Each week they chat to buyers, agents, auctioneers, other industry experts, and they want to learn the truth about how buyers are influenced and why they do the things that they do, aiming to make us all better decision makers when it comes to property. Now, Rena was interviewed on the show, of course, as a strata expert, as a very experienced strata manager, and she spoke to Veronica and Chris about how to best prepare for the experience of owning a strata apartment. She spoke about the crucial information missing from most strata reports, the issues that cause pain for buyers of new apartments, why your lawyer, God forbid, may not warn you of all the pitfalls, and how best to prepare for the experience of living in a democracy. She also talked about how much work a strata manager does and how you might be able to get rid of a dud strata manager. Now, I found it really interesting to hear Rena share her expertise on a platform that is not dedicated to strata education in particular, as our podcast is, and I'm really excited to be able to bring this interview to you. If you want to learn more about Veronica and Chris's podcast, head over to their website at theelephantintheroom.com.au, and I do thank them for allowing us to air this episode on our platform. For now, sit back, enjoy hearing from our Rena Van Oust in the spotlight with Veronica and Chris, and I shall catch you next time. You're listening to the Elephant in the Room property podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Fox Hills Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment. And I can tell you that you'll want to listen on to find out what you need to know before you buy into a strata scheme to not only protect yourself from buying a bad property, but to best prepare for the experience of owning one. Sometimes when there are defects, um, 
the newer buildings, you know, it can be quite stressful because there's a lot of, you know, you're dealing with lawyers and, and, and because you have the levies are getting so much higher because you've got to pay for expert reports and you know, lawyers, it, you know, it gets really hard, I think, on people and it can make people more sort of frustrated and aggressive more than they would normally be. Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp and we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. In this episode, we're picking the brains of Rena Van Alst, founder and managing director of Strata Central, located at Edgecliff in Sydney. And Strata Central's mission is to provide boutique strata management services and solutions with old-fashioned quality service, which is quite nice these days. Rena started her working life as a pharmacist before getting into the strata industry and climbing the ladder and ultimately fulfilling the role of general manager and licensing in charge of a multi-award winning strata company in Sydney. Now, she's not naming it in her bio. I think I know who it is and they're huge. During that time, she also completed her Master's of Professional Accounting, which is quite a useful uh, bank of knowledge for a strata manager, I would think, and we we'll, may get into that a bit more. Rena is a regular guest on the podcast, Your Strata Property. I think that's sort of underselling what you do there, Rena. I, you know, you're on every second week, right? Yes, I think every fortnight we're on together. There you go. And you're also currently a member of the REI Strata Management Chapter. In New South Wales. Yes. In this episode, we want to get a greater understanding of the role a strata manager plays and get her insights into how buyers can avoid buying into problem buildings. And thank you so much for joining us, Rena. Thank you for having me, Veronica. Thank you, Rena. Appreciate you uh, giving us some of your time. We know stratas for a lot of people isn't very sexy. No. And because of that, it's something that they don't really think about too much. And so, you know, I guess my first question is, is there's a lot to kind of consider when you're buying into a property that's managed by strata and what sort of additional kind of due diligence should buyers be doing to stop them buying into buildings that have got a lot of problems? Well, I think the first thing that a buyer should do is obviously get a strata search and and try and spend a bit more money on that search if possible because a lot of strata searches contain very standard information, you know, the last AGM minutes, whether there's insurance, bylaws, etc. But really the communication that occurs mainly in strata by um, office is usually by email. And unfortunately, strata searchers never, ever ask to see emails. Mm. And I think to myself, well, this is where all the information is contained. If a building is well run or there's disharmony, that is where you're going to see the information. The standard of strata management in terms of record keeping is variable. What we find when we take over records from other companies is that they haven't saved all the documents in, say, their document management system or it hasn't Mm -hmm. been printed out in the files if they're still using physical files. So when you're looking for a document, you think, well, hang on, there's an email there, but where's the attachment? You don't check the emails, so what's happening to the reports, correspondence, you know, um, defect reports? So a lot of that sometimes is not there in the search. Strata is usually for buildings where there's multiple owners. That's correct. Units and, you know, what are all the different types of stratas, I guess, for for, for Yeah, so basically um, you can have straight residential. You you can have mixed use where you have commercial and residential, which, again, is another sort of can of worms if you've got restaurants. I think people don't realise when you're buying into those types of things, even though they may sound attractive, you know, lifestyle, you've got a restaurant downstairs, but unfortunately restaurants 
do come with, with problems, which we can yep. probably discuss later. Um, um, then there's also I can just ca- ca- rats, yes. garbage, smells. exactly, exactly, <laughs> and um, yeah, garbage is the main thing. They they dump all their rubbish into the residential bins. The other thing is what we call building management committees, where you have multiple entities. So you have two or more strata schemes, or what we call a stratum lot, which is a lot not subdivided. Like a car park, for example, could be one lot owned by a commercial entity. For example, I manage in Bondi Junction Eastgate. Post share, which is basically we've got council as a member. Yep. We have shopping centre as another member, and then we have the residential component. So then there's an overriding arching entity that would basically look after all the shared services that three entities would normally have to contribute to, such as insurance, fire, etc. Or a lift perhaps that will go from the bottom all the way up. So that lift is traversing through three different legal entities. So if you own an apartment in that Eastgate. Mm. And I know about the council actually because yeah. I once got a parking ticket for parking in the <laughs> in the council car park, oh, yeah. which I'm pretty sure everyone at Eastgate has done. Probably. Um, <laughs> but if I own a build, an apartment in that building and there's something wrong with the building, are you saying there's like multiple stakeholders now? Well, basically, the first entity you will refer to is is the residential strata scheme, but then that may not be in their control. It may have to go to what we call a cost share committee, which is the equivalent of a building management committee because that was established way before that legislation came into being. So, yeah, it can. people don't realise that when you're buying into these entities, you don't just search the records of the strata plan. You need to search the records of this overriding building management committee as well. And some lawyers don't really understand that they've got to do both. Mm. Yeah. Because and there are levies that we have to pay towards that entity as well as levies to run the building. So you're not just paying levies for one entity, you're paying levies towards your own building and any shared services that the building right. is forms part of. And that's the same with community title. Exactly. Well, right? Or community association, yeah. I think it's called, right? Yeah. yeah, so community association is pretty much horizontal living. And then again, you have what we call community association property, which is normally defined as lot one. That could include, you know, Gardens, lawns, in some cases a country club, a swimming pool, mm-hmm. roads, which is can be quite costly. So that's a, again a different form of ownership. But again, it's like we call it, we call it horizontal living because it's like you know, individual houses where they take responsibility for their repairs and maintenance, as opposed to being part of an owners' corporation and contributing to what we call common property expenses. The complexity that a lot of buyers don't understand and. When people are buying an apartment, for instance, they think they're buying just into a building with other residential properties, but often that is not the case, is it? No, it depends on the type of of the development they're buying into. If it's a mixed-use development, then obviously they're buying into several entities, what we call a building management committee. That means that you may have what we call a stratum lot or two strata plans sharing shared services, and therefore all owners have to contribute by way of apportionment that's determined, again, at the beginning of the development being registered, levies towards that. So they're buying into their own development and building as well as contributing to the overall arching entity that governs the use of shared services. And the issues with that is that, you know, what you're looking at might be the strata report for the residential building, but behind the scenes there's all these other entities that have an impact on you as an investor that you might just completely not have any idea about. You exactly. Know. Well, unless it's referred to in the minutes. Let's say the minutes don't refer to a building management committee update, which they should, because normally when, when we manage buildings, we make sure that we put an update in the minutes to reflect what's happened at that entity. Yeah. But if there's nothing in the minutes, then how does any buyer know that this is this forms part of a building management committee where there's further costs and further yeah. responsibilities that are involved? Oh, wow. So, I mean, how does a, a buyer even... I'm, you know, let's say I'm my first ever purchase. I haven't bought a property before Mm. and I'm thinking about buying this 
unit, you know, where do I, what do I do? What would be the process you would go through to make sure that absolutely everything you need to know so before you put an offer in? So I think the first thing I would do is obviously ask recommendations, say, from, from my lawyer, if I have a good lawyer, as to who should do a strata report and also find out more information about the entity. Like you, you might even do a quick Google search, might even give you some information. You'd be surprised what you find on Google. Yep. And ask the lawyer, like, are there any other entities that override because this, is, this isn't a shopping centre or there are, I can notice this big car park that's, you know, secure car park down there. Is this, you know, this is part of the building. How do I know what happens with all the um, structures governing this building? So you need to probably look at it physically and say, you know, am I buying into a standalone building or is there more to it? Okay. And get your, and hopefully the lawyers should understand building management committees. Although some all, of them don't. Are all lawyers equal? That's what I was thinking there. Yeah, Would you go to a family solicitor who may be doing conveyancing couple of times a month? Yeah, no, I mean, I wouldn't. But then again, I mean, some who knows if some family law- lawyers might know more than conveyance. I don't really know because, I mean, sometimes lawyers have varying levels of experience and expertise. Yeah, and I suppose course. they do have their – the Law Society does have credited, you know, like specialists in property and, and, and family yeah. law if you need one, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> yes, I think it might be a good idea to do your research in terms of the type of conveyancing that the lawyer yeah. or conveyancer has done. I mean, have they been involved in multifaceted type developments where, you know, it's not just a straight strata scheme that someone's buying into. I mean, that's a mistake I've seen some clients make and they've engaged a solicitor or a conveyancer and they've gone for the cheap and cheerful, yes. 990, all inclusive. Yeah. Oh, it's just a contract. How hard's that? And they get the contract reviewed and then I'm in this constant game of cat and mouse trying to get the conveyance. They won't answer phone calls no. and they're so busy because they're so cheap. And it just ends up this, you know. Yeah, well, I remember I used to manage quite a large community association out at Newington and we had many, many bylaws in the community management statement and all the people didn't even know that they were there. They would, you know, add an air conditioning unit to their house and next minute we had to send them a breach notice. And what we found out was the buyers that actually spent, you know, a couple of thousand dollars on a lawyer would get all that community management statement outlined to them and explained to them. Mm. And they understood that you couldn't just do certain things. Whereas unfortunately, like you're saying, you know, you Hey, what's that? Sorry, that's saying. Hey, peanuts, peanuts, get monkeys. monkeys yeah. yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, or, gor- no or gorillas, are- maybe. Um, <laughs> no <laughs> um, monkeys have been harmed. Yeah, exactly. So, unfortunately, if you don't, if you're spending a lot of money on property, which is something I really don't understand, this sort of penny wise, pound foolish mentality, where mm. you know people will spend like you know an hour driving to the outside of Sydney, you know, to go to Costco to save, you know hundred dollars or whatever. But when it comes to to buying a, a property, they just worry about spending that extra couple of grand. You're spending over a million dollars, if not $2 million on a property. I mean, yeah. if you just work out the um, mathematics on, on, on that equation, it, it's a no-brainer. It is phenomenal. In mm. fact, uh, you know, I've just recently been really, really thinking about this because also in a lot of the Banking Royal Commission, I know we're segueing here and going down a bit different path. We'll come back to Strata in a sec. But Banking Royal Commission talking about all these really Poor, sad people mm. who have believed in spruikers and financial planners and been sold dreams. And there's a lot of this in property, particularly with brand new. You know, yep. they've been sold this get-rich-quick scheme or sold this, you know, you can leverage up the property ladder quick, quick, quick. And I think to myself, why are you abdicating the responsibility for being critical and questioning whether really these vehicles are going to get you really where you want to be. And I think that it comes back down to this wishful thinking, you know, that people would rather 
be sold to because it sounds better, it sounds sexier and it's more hopeful than actually be really practical and spend the appropriate amount of money on their due diligence. And and I don't know the answer to that because Mm. in my business at the moment I'm thinking how do I help those people? Can they be helped? Do they want to be helped? Mm. Anyway, that's another episode there. But you're right, you're right, Veronica, <laughs> because, I mean, I think people spend more money when they're even buying a car, which is, yes. again, a fraction of the cost. People will get, test drive it, they'll, yeah. you know, look at the reviews, they'll go to this dealership and that, negotiate. Whereas it comes to property, as you've said, I think, on one of your previous podcasts, people just, that, that whole sort of mindset just seems to run out the window. You can actually test drive a car for an entire weekend. Not be <laughs> test drives a, car, a house or yeah, apartment for a weekend. Exactly. Okay. Well, how long do you spend for an open inspection when you go into for an inspection of an apartment? Yeah. Sometimes not even half an hour. Yeah. There have been people that bought a property. I've known them, you know, when I was selling, although we used to do 45-minute inspections back in the old days. Yeah. But, but yeah, people would come through one expe- inspection and they've bought a house or an apartment. Outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that comes out of... You know, if you've been looking for six months or three months and you've been to 100 open homes and you've missed out on three places, you are so desperate to buy something and then finally something comes on and you think it ticks all the boxes. You're going through these rose-coloured glasses. This is the perfect property. You're in and then the agent's kind of telling you what you want to hear and then it all happens extremely fast and then that might be the Saturday. You might be making offers Saturday afternoon, haven't done all your due diligence, your contract checking, et cetera. You've already committed to buying it mentally. Yeah. You slept on Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday morning. You don't even want to go and look at it again. You don't slow down. And in a hot market, I think that's what a lot of people <laughs> yeah. have done. And it's not till they get the keys six weeks later. The pre-settlement inspection is usually yeah. the, the reality check. Oh, is that what I bought? Yeah, and the water doesn't. The water pressure is so low, and things like <laughs> <laughs> stuck with it. So we went back to Strata. I think that's quite interesting what you're talking about at Newington. That you really could see the difference between those purchases that had got the correct advice and the right advice at the outset. Not only. Did they obviously they still bought into the scheme? It didn't stop them buying no. into the scheme, but they were more educated and had their expectations set better. Exactly. So that's obviously going to lead itself to a better experience as an owner as well, as, that's as right. well as getting on with your neighbours better. Yeah, because a lot of community associations actually have an architectural code, which is why they all have a certain look, and that's why you buy into them. So because you obviously like that look, and you want to maintain the values. And when people start putting things that detract or conflict with the architectural code, that's when a lot of the problems begin. And a lot of people don't even know there is an architectural code. I mean, Mm. it even dictates sometimes what colour blinds you can have, what type of pebbles you can have, what type of plants you can have in the garden. So if you don't know you're buying into that, I mean, you might like it and you think, oh, this is lovely, and then you start pulling things out and putting roses in when it's supposed to be, you know, Australian natives, for example, and then, you know, you get a letter from the strata manager and then, you know, there's obviously people don't like getting letters saying, you know, you've done the wrong thing when you think that you're doing the right thing. You're trying to beautify your own property. Um, But unfortunately it doesn't work like that and and you're right, expectations are then affected because you think, oh, hang on, I thought I was buying this house for me and now I can't Mm. put the plants that I like. And And it's a small issue really, but you still feel like it's a big issue to you because you didn't know about it and you probably should have known about Mm. it, but you don't know about it. And then you still have to pay this million-dollar mortgage and you're in this house and you've got this negative feeling towards it. Yeah, exactly. It puts a bad taste in your mouth, I think, when that happens. You made a really interesting line there where you said to track the value of the property and keep the value of the property and invest into the property. What's your experience when... Some buildings are bought mainly by investors yep. and investors generally want to minimise the cost on the investment 
because they want to pay off their home loan and live a good life and those sort of things. Those type of buildings where vast majority are owned by investors that sometimes get run down. Have, have you seen that before? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think in the buildings where you have the majority of investors, the maintenance of the building is lacking because mm. unfortunately there are only a few usually owner-occupiers and and when you don't have any buy-in from the majority of the owners who want to invest and who want to maintain their property values, that becomes a problem. But in community associations, for example, in some of the clauses contained in the community management statement, they have to paint. So we've had success where someone doesn't want to paint their house and, you know, the paint's falling, you know, the timber work's rotting. You know, we just go in there, we write to them, we say, if you don't, it's actually stronger than a council, really. Wow. We write, we've written to them. If they don't listen and they don't, we give them like 14 days. We don't want them to paint in 14 days. We want obviously a commitment to say paint within the next three to six months because obviously we understand that it's a financial commitment to do so. And then when they don't do that, we go to mediation if we have to at fair trading and, you know, and eventually we've gotten orders where that makes them do it. So, and Could it is you force it. them to sell the house? We can if they don't pay their levies. Usually there's, we've had a few bankruptcies, but usually what I find the last minute they get the money. We haven't had to actually bankrupt <laughs> anyone. It's gotten very close. We've yep. been in the federal court bankruptcy proceedings and it costs a lot of money because mm. you're in that jurisdiction. But unfortunately, I think people don't really understand, you know, levies and the whole thing and they may fall into financial hardship. I don't know. Sometimes people just don't want to pay. They don't see value in the yeah. levies and so unfortunately. Well, that's right. If, if the benefit's not so much benefiting them but exactly. it's benefiting the building yeah. and it's benefiting other neighbours more than them. That's exactly you know, right. They say, well, what am I getting? Exactly. That's exactly the words I use. What am I getting out of this? Like yeah. I, I pay all these levies and what do I get? It's really funny, isn't it? Because I heard this, I think Amanda said this in one of her episodes, or I think yeah. it was one that she was with you, about you buying into a democracy. Yes. Maybe you said it. Yeah. And I'd never heard that before. And I thought, wow, that is so true, isn't it? And in fact, a lot of buyers say to me, I don't want to buy an Estrada because I don't want to have other people having a say over what I can and can't do. And I think if you know that going in, and that's probably a good person not to buy into strata. Exactly. <laughs> but for those that are buying unwittingly, just they don't know what they don't know. I think that's important that they really need to understand. They've got to play their part. Exactly. They've got to toe the line. Well, the Act requires the owners corporation to maintain and repair common property. So it's a statutory effect in the legislation that makes the owners corporation do so. So we've had instances just recently where I had an apartment, there was a, a leak from the roof membrane above and what had happened, the r- membrane had been repaired by the Ennis Corporation at, at great expense, but then there was a contractor who I think put some anchor points or did something and they pierced the membrane. This resulted in water penetration into this apartment and unfortunately the previous managing agent just, you know, didn't attend to it. You know, this, this owner then had to vacate her tenant. She was living, you know, into sort of in the country. She was having to come down to Sydney and, you know, travel expenses, accommodation expenses, um, like nearly $50,000 later, you know, suing the Owners Corporation. Yeah. And basically the Owners Corporation had to settle, had to pay her. And because you have to repair and maintain common property. And if someone suffers loss and damage as a result of that negligence of the Owners Corporation to do so, then now there are the avenues of, of, of recovery are much stronger now than they were even in the previous legislation. So right. consequential damage, for example, to your furniture, like let's say there's a leak, mm. before that let's say, well, you've got to pay for that now. No, it's a consequence of you not fixing that, that <clears throat> membrane. So, And I think the important thing 
to note there is that the roof is common property. It's That's not exactly. just belonging to the penthouse. Exactly. You know, it actually is the roof of the entire building. That's and, right. And if the penthouse leaks, ultimately the next one down is going to leak and so on exactly. throughout the building. Uh, and I guess the bottom, the ground floor apartment is going to be saying, oh, I don't want to spend money on that because mm. it doesn't affect me. Yeah, or I don't <laughs> use a lift, so why do I pay, have to pay towards lift maintenance? I'm on the ground floor, Although, for example. isn't the isn't that factored into the unit entitlement? Yeah, so the value of the lot at registration of the strata plant is valued and is ascertained at that point. So unit entitlement reflects the value. So the value is market value, not sort of square meterage. So yeah. you might have tiny apartment at the top with views, it may be the same you know, entitlement as a ground floor apartment with three bedrooms, for example. So yeah. it's based on market value. So, yeah, so the unit entitlement is still less, but you're contributing towards something that in your mind you don't mm. use, whereas living in Strata, it's communal living and, you know, you've got to share expenses. Sometimes, you know, you pay more for this, less for that, but it's all swings and roundabouts really. I guess when you're buying into these buildings and as an investor, let's say, and as Strata management companies managing it. Yeah. Aren't you at the mercy of how good they are? To a large extent, you are. And unfortunately, sometimes, you know, we've had to resign from buildings when, when they don't actually fulfil their statutory duties or they try and do things outside the law. Because as an agent, you're also liable. If the owners' corporations get sued, you could also be sued as an agent. And, in, I mean, we try and make sure that we document everything in writing. We tell people you've got to repair this. This owner's been coming. You've got to raise a special levy. We don't have enough funds. But, unfortunately, we've got three quotes now. They're all in this magnitude. We have to have a general meeting. We have to raise a special levy if we don't have the funds because, unfortunately, you know, that owner can then take action against the owner's corporation. So, and some buildings just don't want to spend any money and they're, and they're fighting and they're, I mean, I've got one particular development, which is a small one, and it's all about a work health and safety report, which had been approved at the AGM, but they don't remember approving it and one particular person doesn't want to have it and we should be exempt. We're not, you know, this is not commercial. I said, no, it's about your common law duties in terms of mitigating the insurer's risk because obviously if there's something that affects their risk and we were not attending to it as an owner's corporation, they can reduce the limit of their liability towards contributing to any payout if there's an insurance claim. And people have actually died. I had someone in Queensland, not in a building that we used to manage, but our company used to manage. And basically, I think someone had put wooden planks over a hole that they were still working on and right. she fell and she actually <sighs> died. I mean, mm. and so again, what you, what you can imagine what's going to happen when, yeah. you know, so unfortunately the ramifications of work health and safety and for contractors coming to do work on the common property, that is their workplace. We have to make sure it's safe. Like, yeah. like we would in any of our offices, make sure our, our workplace is safe for our employees well, for contractors, the Owners Corporation has to make sure that, that the common yeah. property that the contractors are coming to do work on is safe. Even though they have their own insurance, that doesn't limit mm. the liability of the Owners mm. Corporation. So, so if you've got a situation where you've got owners that are reticent or resistant to spending money to maintain the building or do or follow through with these uh, compliance measures that they need to do, you will resign. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, if, if that building puts us at risk, then... There's no point, there's 100%. no amount of money that's going to be worth it, especially when it's, you know, like, you can see the writing on the wall sometimes and you think it's not worth it. I well, mean, you don't want to be associated with these types of buildings. You don't want to manage people that don't want to look after their investments. And you don't exactly. want to buy into them either. So, no, so exactly. No. What are the signs, do you think, a buyer can see, I mean, I, I've got my own ideas on this, but I'd love yeah. to hear from you. What are the signs that a buyer can look for when they're actually going to a building to inspect an apartment? I think they should probably look at the last few AGM minutes, not just before they even get to the, oh, the, okay. the strata report. Do you think that there are 
giveaways oh, at the property itself? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can see if a building is tired, if it's dirty, if there's, you know, like paint coming off. Sometimes you can get a general feel of a building that's neglected versus one that's well-maintained. I mean, I've been in some buildings and the foyer and you walk in, it's just, you know, it may not be brand new, but it's clean, yeah. it's gleaming. You can see there are signs saying the lift about people putting rubbish. So you can see that there's someone cares, there's a care factor yeah, there. Yeah, a good point. Whereas sometimes in some buildings, you, you walk in there and you just feel like dust in the corner. Obviously, the cleaner hasn't got to it or a light's not working. Yeah. Um, I mean, it may have just happened that weekend, but you don't know. Sometimes a light could be out two or three weeks mm. and the committee's, you know, saying, oh, well, that electrician's cheaper than that one. And I'm thinking, this is urgent. Like if someone falls over because it's dark after hours, you know, we need to get this fixed. And so I think Chris earlier was alluding to this idea that there's obviously there's a lot of buildings out there where you've either had a lot of, you know, I don't disparage against elderly people, but mm. so often when there's a lot of pensioners, they don't have a lot of spare cash, right? Yeah. So they're not going to be voting for special levies or increasing the capital works fund. That's for exactly right. Sake. Yeah. And then if you've got buildings where a lot of elderly people and a lot of investors have owned and not a lot of younger or working owner occupiers. Yes. So there's often that lack of attention to this ongoing well, investment it's funny, actually, in the building. Oh, I manage a building in Randwick that's exactly got that composition of owners mm. and investors as you're referring to, Veronica. And unfortunately, thank God the chairperson, who is one of the younger person who's working, has said that when I took them over, they had like a thousand dollars in their in their trust account. A yep. thousand. They were paying their insurance off by instalments. I had to get a loan mm. through the insurance broker to pay their insurance premium. And that's how bad it was. And I said mm. to them, sorry, but this cannot continue. Mm. You know, I did a whole budget. I, I went line by line. I went through every single contract. I explained every single figure and how it was calculated. So people understood. And once they understood, then her and I were able to then impart that to all the owners. I mean, some were obviously reluctant because mm. they said, well, you know, like they're asset rich and cash poor, mm. unfortunately, because as people get older, they don't have the liquid assets. But they also understood that their asset, and in some cases, a lot of owners had water penetration through the balconies and some of these pensioners were affected. And, yeah. and in a sense, when it comes to their thing, they could see, well, maybe I need to. All of a sudden they're motivated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, unfortunately, sometimes you need those types of experiences where people are suffering themselves for water or any other damage to get them motivated to try and raise levies. So now, I mean, the levies went up, like, let me tell you, like they, they went up threefold. Yeah. You have to, yeah. Huge. Mm. And again, someone is trying to keep them low, even made disparaging remarks about myself and the chairperson in an effort to try and yeah. reduce them. And finally, we were able to explain again, you know, every line item, what works. Money's not getting spent. It's only going to in the kitty and the kitty is yeah. going to be used for the building. Yeah, but we have so, money that we need to spend. There is water yeah, penetration to garages, into apartments. I mean, water yeah. is horrible. It's mold, damp, especially with this recent rain we've had. Water is oh, the worst, worst thing in a building. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it could cause long-term um, damage. Long-term damage because mm. it can cause concrete cancer. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And that's the worst thing that, you know, that you really want in a building because the cost of getting into that and chasing it oh. into, into the floors of every single apartment. Exactly. It's a nightmare. But I often think, you know, I look at these buildings and I think sometimes they're opportunities for new people to get in and you can see that there's going to be a change to the guard. Yes. So there is a great opportunity to buy in as long as you get that apartment cheap enough. Yes. Because you are paying for the sins of the fathers in the sense that the previous owners have got away scot-free. They've sold out and they've never really paid yeah, appropriate levies. And so if you buy into a building like that in a boom, you're probably going to be overpaying. Yeah. If you buy into a building like that now when it's harder to sell stuff like that, it could be a real opportunity if you can see that, you know what, I think someone else has recently bought, in particular if you look and say, okay, over the last five years, 
there's a couple of new owners in that building and I buy in, I'm going to bandy up with them and yeah. <laughs> hopefully we'll, you know, we'll lead a charge. Yeah, that's a, a great idea actually. It's good to know, um, Veronica. Yeah, I wasn't aware like because obviously when I'm on the other side of things so I only, I only know when something is being sold. Not, mm. not that whole sort of market type thing that you're you're referring to. So, well, an interesting thing a client's doing at the moment. He's got a you know a block of six unit. He's got one of the unit in the six in Dover Heights. Yep. And he's gone out the front. He's got a little yard, and out the back they're on the cliff. So, so wow. they've all kind of come up with this little agreement because there's only six in the block, mm. and they're all doing a trade. So one's getting the front yard, one's splitting the backyard, Ooh, one's getting the roof that. space. Wow. And then there's one person that doesn't really get much. Yeah. But they're going to get cash. Oh, and that's, so very, that's very that's great. Very cool. Cool. Yeah. And now it's the, you know, and they're having to kind of talk each other through it and they're all kind of making deals. It's like dragging people in the in the hallway who might want to make a deal here. And so, I mean, that's the power of, <laughs> you know, smaller yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I live in a block of six apartments and we did a similar thing many years ago. We actually live in a company title building. So there's another form of ownership. It is, yes. Where (laughs) the company actually owns a building and you're just a shareholder that basically owns X amount of shares that allows you to live in this particular apartment and take carriage of this garage, et cetera. That's another another love your terminology. It's so professional carriage of instead of just use the garage. Right. It's not really yours. You only have shares, remember? I love it. Take it's like, carriage it's like, of. It's like being a shareholder in Woolies. No, it's not. Um, anyway. You don't get to use that short in Woolies, though. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Shelf. Exactly. You're lucky to get a discount. And we decided many years ago that we would extend everyone's balconies out to the perimeter of the building. So some people got a little bit of space. Some people got a lot of space. But mm. unfortunately, you don't go out. So we didn't give anyone cash because everyone got something. Some people yep. got more than others, but that's a great way. But for, I think for us, we had to obviously change it. You know, the shareholding stayed the same, but obviously it's a different form of getting it over the line because obviously, you know, with companies, you're regulated by the Corporations Act, um, not the Smart Schemes another. Now, you've oh, seen okay. lots of developments and lots of different builders mm-hmm. from you've got the big, big names out there that yep. do lots of big buildings. You've got the kind of little kind of developers that are doing maybe their first building and yep. maybe they've done 10. Yeah. A lot of people say well, if, if you're buying a new building, you know, you should always review the developer and make sure they're established and make sure they're a good de- builder. Yeah. Does that really make a difference? It does to an extent, but all the big companies, whether it's, you know, Mervac or Crown or any of them, they, they actually use shelf companies for development. So they establish another company. So you're not actually... The head company is not the one that you're buying from. It's another shelf company that, that they actually established that you're buying from. Just in case it doesn't go well so they can close it. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, obviously there's the actors now looking at, you know, bonds for developers, et cetera, so that's a new area of the law that's being put in to try and give owners some recourse in the event of defects. But the more reputable developers and builders will always come back and they will always, you know, like, You'll obviously have to get a report and it'll be a bit of argy-bargy, but overall high-quality developments, um, usually minimal defects that are structural because the structural ones are the ones that are costly, not the cosmetic-type ones. Yep. And they'll usually come back, whereas some of these you know, other builders that are new, it's all about you know getting it out there, getting it built, record time. Built and, and sold. Exactly. Mm. And, I mean, some people, what they've bought, you know, there's cracks in slabs, there's water coming in everywhere. Over a million, like eight hundred thousand, nine hundred. You know, I'm thinking, my God, it's just so much money to pay, and then they're paying all these levies because, in order to take the developer to court or the builder, I mean, you need, you know, lawyers, you need consultants, and and even though this is occurring, you've still got to maintain the common property. So someone 
there was actually a legal case where someone said, okay, that's fine, you're doing that, but I'm getting water penetration, I need to fix my damage. Yeah. How you deal with the developer and the builder is something that mm. will ha- happen eventually, but can also affect your rights. If you're fixing stuff, they should have fixed. <laughs> where does that? So, so would you prefer to manage an older kind of 1960s, 70s building with N20 apartments or a new 2,500 apartments? Um, I think it. It varies. It depends on the people, really. I, I find that I like working with people and if it, you have a good committee and people are committed to, you know, it's a harmonious building, well run, people look after the asset, they want to make sure they comply with the act and do all the right things. I don't I don't care if it's eight lots or 150 or 300. Yeah. As long as, you know, people are – sometimes when there are defects um, for the newer buildings, you know, it can be quite stressful because there's a lot of, you know, you're dealing with lawyers and, and, and because you've got – the levies are getting so much higher because you've got to pay for expert reports and you know, lawyers. You know, it gets really hard, I think, on people and it can make people more sort of frustrated and aggressive more than they would normally be under yeah, normal circumstances. Under pressure. under pressure, yeah. And I would imagine that there's a lot of first home buyers buying into new buildings. Yes. Largely because governments keep pushing them in that direction, which yeah. I really wish governments would stop doing, but that's a... Yeah, another topic for another podcast. <laughs> so you've got a lot of first home buyers who've scraped together every cent that they have in order to buy the place in the first place. You know, where do they get the money for the the special levies? Well, that's the problem. I mean, I remember in my building, we had a huge levy at one stage and, you know, like if you don't have 30000 sitting in the mm. bank like that, yeah, they have to unfortunately, you know, use credit card debt or borrow from someone. I mean, sometimes the levies can be quite huge and you're right, people yes. have scraped through or someone's just had, a, you know, a child and they're just, you know, like, Temporarily out of the workforce, and something happens. So I think, yeah, I can understand it'd be quite stressful when you know you weren't expecting that to happen, and it does happen. That's why, again, you come back to the strata search that you mentioned before on um, your recent video, Veronica. You've got to make sure you do research and 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 understand that you know, what is the potential for a special levy? What is the potential for levies going up? Is it something I should know about in this building that maybe I can afford in the next one or two years? But who knows if it triples or you know, sometimes mm. you know you can you know there are there are there is information there. Yep. And you see people complaining about stuff that's not fixed. You know, you think well, eventually it's got to be done. What are we thinking about in cost? Yeah. Have they made any inquiries or investigations into what's needed to be done and how much that might cost? I mean, mm. I see that in strata reports where yeah. there's always whinging about stuff, no evidence has been addressed in any way, and so it just could be a monstrous can of worms. But what about a new building? Because there's none of that history. Yeah, exactly, and that's the problem too because um, now developers have to provide a what we call a maintenance schedule, so it's got to provide every single asset and how it's maintained and, and the cost of maintenance. So is but that like the capital fund forecast? forecast. Yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah so you, I remember mm. you referred to that and you're right about that. We'll talk about that in, in a moment. But, um, it's yeah, it's basically like a maintenance schedule of, of all the assets of the building and how it's going to be maintained and contracts, et cetera. So to an extent, it sort of is like the starting point of that mm. because whereas the capital fund forecast that you referred to in your recent LinkedIn video talks about what you have to raise every year. And, and even though, yeah, you're right, it is compulsory to have this, anyone can prepare it, not even a quantity surveyor at times. Mm. And you're right, some people get, you know, the cheapest report. I mean, I've had reports where, talks about things that aren't even in that building. Like one report <laughs> talked about 
sail shade awning. I'm thinking, there's no sail shade. So they, they use these. Talk about a template. Exactly, just, you know, a template document. And you yeah. think, oh, my God, like how accurate is this? But it's like when I see a contract to sail and in there's a swimming pool clause and the property doesn't have a swimming pool. <laughs> yeah. and you go, oh, well, this, the lawyer wasn't even, yeah. didn't pay any attention to the yeah. clauses in this contract. They just pulled them out of a filing cabinet, slotted them in and that's Yeah, it. exactly. That's right. I mean, sometimes, yeah. And, it, and you think about like, yeah, the fact that, you're relying on this report to raise levies mm. and as an owner or a future investor mm. in the property, you're relying on them to think, well, hang on, like, and so it can be quite a problematic. But that, but that still doesn't take into account the idea that, well, if it's been built badly, no. that stuff's not going to going to no. be flagged in that. You're not going to find that out until it starts raining or no. until your pool on the roof starts leaking or, yeah, exactly. or until yeah. somebody complains. Yeah. And- I mean, that report assumes everything as it was at the time of inspection yeah. has a lifespan based on, you know, where it is in its life cycle. Mm. And then, therefore, you can try and amortise the cost of the plant and equipment and, and painting, et cetera, over well, a 10-year period is what the reports have to give now, 10-year mm. forecast. So I've got a client at the moment just recently and they came to me and I was like, well, we've got a building, it's a newer building and it's not, they're overlooking quite a busy road and not their forever house. They were a first-home buyer, they bought into the building and then, he works in construction, so then he's like, well, I'm going to go on the strata. And then, <laughs> so he goes on the strata and he just starts finding all problems with the building and they keep finding more and more and and he's trying to do it, a real professional job on the strata and everyone's saying, mate, we can't do it like this because we don't want to get this into the report because then if other people start hearing mm-hmm. about it and it became this kind of he's trying to do things by the book and they're trying to like keep mm. things off but the strata. You'd be surprised at some buildings, um, like let's say I'll go to a meeting and I – the minutes and they'll say no take that out take that out because again if someone's mm. buying in is it it's going to affect the values of our, yeah. our apartments and i think to myself well because we only have partial delegated authority under our agency agreement so i'm not the full secretary i only have partial so the secretary tells me you've got to amend that as long as it's not illegal like taking something out is not as bad as you know totally misstating a fact but mm. well, it's lying by omission yeah exactly and sometimes i'll just say well to people okay if you want to do that it's fine but off our letterhead, like you want to issue these minutes in this form, fine. Off my off our letterhead, you will issue them. We will say that you've prepared these minutes. Yep. We haven't prepared them because you know when you know something's not right, you don't want to. So there's a tip for buyers: mm. if you see the minutes and they're not on the letterhead of the strata manager, then ask why. Yeah. Well, sometimes mm. they like to hold their own meetings, Veronica, because they want to save money. So they don't want me to attend because obviously there's an hourly rate that we we charge for attending meetings. So in one particular case. I just had received some minutes. So it's interesting when I read minutes that other people have prepared because when I train my staff to write minutes, I always tell them that you need to write minutes so that if you weren't at the meeting, would you understand what happened? Because sometimes when you're at a meeting, you understand what you mean because you were there. You understand the context. You understand what was said. But for a third party, like you're assisting a buyer, Veronica, and and no one's ever seen, you've you've never actually been to that building, then how would, you know, you're reading it with sort of, to me, it's not necessarily clear what they're trying to say. So this particular minute said, we approve the quotation from the window company, option one. What does that mean? <laughs> I mean, it's the same for me for file That was $120,000 option one, actually. Option one, yeah. yeah. One yeah. option one. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. What, does it co- what is option one costing? Yeah. Now, they have their own meetings, but the, unfortunately, if I was a buyer reading these minutes, now I had the quote, so I went up and got the quote and said, oh, option one's that. But again, they only have one twenty in their whole account. So again, I don't know how they're going to be doing option one when that's all they have in the bank. 
Now, just with that, that wishful <laughs> thinking once again. Yeah. <laughs> that story that I was just explaining there. I mean, so once they kind of got everything that was wrong with the building, they went and got all the quotes. But what you know, what do you do is if you own that building and you want to get out because you know long term it doesn't suit you. Yeah. You know, are you best to kind of usually wait till all the works are done? Are you just best to try to try to sell it on the market? For these guys, they were in their heart. They were thinking, well, we're going to be better to sell this once everything's fixed. Yeah. But you know, that was going to take years. Yeah, and also the amount you've got to put in in terms of levies. Mm. And again, I mean, I don't, I mean, obviously I'm not in real estate as in like the selling side of it, but I don't, I mean, how do you know what the market's going to be like by the time you want to sell? Yeah. Like yeah, you, exactly. are you better off cutting your losses and running or are you better to, you know, have some work starting to at least so that prospective purchasers could see, well, hang on, they are doing some work. So even if one project is completed or being completed, it might give um, the building, you know, another buyer some confidence that, this building does actually want to fix but Well, the, the cut end, end of that story is they did try to just sell it now yep. with the strata report, which documents higher special levies, which is you know, basically painted a pretty bad picture of the building. And how and did it he needs go? all this work. And they sold on the open market to someone who never did the strata report. Wow. <laughs> there you go. And I was about to say that you can put it on the market, just hope you get one of those idiots <laughs> talk about a property dumbo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so, you know, they were stressed about it. He did all the reports. He got all the quotes. They planned for these big $40,000 special levies. I think that proves karma. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that actually is a really nice story. They've done the right thing and some other idiot has not yeah. even taken advantage of it, you know, like. God. So, But did they sell it at the price that they wanted to? Because I know. They got even higher than they thought they were going to get. because wow. I've, I've got a building at the moment where there's a fire order and unfortunately this committee is not acting quickly enough and and this woman was on the committee and she said, Arena, I've had enough. I don't care. I'm going to sell this apartment. I don't care if I lose money on it. I just want to be out. And so I think, oh, well, I hope she gets a good price. But your example sounds like a. Like a pretty good story. Service departments, I got a really horrible experience with those. <laughs> Watch service departments is something that very few investors buy, which is a good thing. Yeah. But if they do buy them, the experience they get is horrendous generally. Can you explain, I guess, sometimes people, if they're thinking about investing, they think they're a great investment because they promise guaranteed rent and things yeah. like that. Mm. Can you give yeah. us an example of you know, how service departments really work on yeah, your, how I mean, you work with them? The only experience I've had was in a large building in Sussex Street down sort of towards the Harbour Bridge side of it. And I remember the there was a company, I think it was called The Oaks, and they end up sort of buying a lot of apartments from, like, sorry, renting apartments from owners and obviously providing returns. But there a lot of complaints by the residential owners because, again, there was no consent and there was a whole big, uh, this is like 10 or 15 years ago this happened. But I don't really have much experience with those, the direct contact between the company and, you know, the owners. The part that I'm more involved in is, the other residents who are own occupiers and how they basically have to deal with this transient population where people don't care and they, you know, in two cases, you know, hit the walls as they, they're leaving or they don't recycle and they put rubbish in the wrong bins or rubbish overflow or they have, you know, parties and things. And Well, so. another can of worms we could get into, but we won't right now. So do the whole Airbnb <laughs> thing. Yeah, exactly. Now, you mentioned earlier about the Capital Works fund forecast. Yes. Now, it used to be known as a sinking fund forecast. Yeah. I've been interested in this because in recent years it was legislated that every building had to have one and that yeah. was phased in over some years, wasn't it? Yes. It's also, as I understand, legislated they need to get it updated every five years. That's correct. correct. However, it's not legislated that they need to follow it. That's exactly right. And that's the problem that we have because to me it's like a toothless tiger. There's no point having a report that 
you don't have to even stick to or even look at. So I think what we try and tell our owners is that please use it as a guideline, if you, even if you don't want to sort of raise exactly what it's saying. Sometimes things have to be brought forward. Like it might say you're six, you've got to, you know, um, do some painting, but maybe actually you four, that painting has to be done because it can't wait. And sometimes some things can be pushed out. Obviously, you know, like it's an average of their life expectancy in terms of what the report says. But I also use it as a tool. So let's say in this particular building where we referred to where you have the older, older people and the young, few young people, and the forecast is saying we should raise 60. And I'm saying let's raise 30 at least. So at least it, it, I use it as a tool to say, hang on, you don't want to raise levies. The report's saying 60. You need to have a closing balance of X by you know, financial year ending 19. I'm saying we need to at least raise 30. Keep going, yeah. Yeah, so at least mm. to me, even if they don't follow it, which I think is difficult, but at least if I can use it as a tool to say you're only raising half of what you should be, so you're really behind the eight ball, but at least it's something that I have that I can attest to that's done by a professional person and it gives me some credibility when I'm trying to fight to have levies set at a reasonable mm. rate depending on the needs of the building. But you're fighting for that. Now, yeah. I, I've met and dealt with a lot of strata managers in my time and I don't meet many that are very proactive at all. They're very no. reactive. Yeah. They often don't lead the owner's corporation. No. They don't make suggestions. They don't. And, and, in fact, the building you're talking about in Dover Heights, you know, where the, the six owners have got together. That's a great and, idea. And, you know, there's a real value add. Imagine if you had a strata manager that provided that sort of service. Exactly. But I imagine it's not, it's not within the scope because they don't pay you enough to do that yeah. sort of thing. I often find with my clients, once they buy into a building, we'll, we'll often talk about, well, is this a really active owner's corporation? Do they yeah. really seem on top of it or are they really not? There's this big continuum or they're sort yeah. of in the middle and they're sort of a bit neither here nor there. But once they actually get into the building, they get to own the building, they actually get to meet the manager, they go to the meetings and all the rest of it, they start to get a real feeling for the quality or calibre of that yeah. managing agent. Yeah. Now, how do they go through the process of trying to change agents? Okay, well, under the new legislation now, before an agent could be appointed for X amount of years, there was no sort of limit in legislation. Now the maximum is three years. So every strata management contract now can't exceed three years and therefore you have to look at the current agency agreement and see how long you're in there for and see is it coming to its expiry. That's really the only time that you can change. But if there is disputes or non-performance, then you can go through the dispute resolution clauses that are contained within the agency agreement. And now you can even go to the tribunal. The Act now allows for more action to be taken against strata managing agents for not complying with their obligations pursuant to their agency agreement. But also people don't really understand, as you were saying before, Veronica, what is contained in the agency agreement? What am I being paid to do? What is then charged at an extra rate? Because I just had a recent building that came to me and they said to me, oh, you know, like I gave them a quote and they said, oh, you're more expensive. Agents, I said, well, I understand that. I said, but basically I said, if I look at two buildings side by side, I know what I will charge. Let's say they've both got 12 apartments, one roof, one's highly tenanted and they don't maintain the building. The other one's got occupies and they care and they report things and repairs yeah. are attended to in a timely manner. Well, then I can charge you the same what we call our base management fee to do certain things, but then anything outside of that, I said, you know, I'll be writing letters, issuing work orders for that building that's highly tenanted and has yeah. complaints, whereas how can Whereas the other one that's run smooth, how can I charge you the same price? It's because you've got 12 apartments. That means nothing. Mm, interesting. Yeah, so people don't really understand, like, in terms of managing agents' work and what we have to do. And I actually have a client who I used to manage his building when I first started at my previous company, and 
in 2003. And anyway, so he was with us for a long time. Then obviously, like I he went to another manager and, and ended up leaving. But now he's become Australia manager. Mm. <laughs> and he said to me, oh, my God, I, mean, I didn't realise I was such high maintenance. <laughs> I said, yeah, you were. <laughs> but um, they don't realise all the work that's involved. He said, I didn't realise that you did all this. And I said, yeah, people don't understand. Like, you know, you only see sort of the face of, of the manager at the meeting yeah. and occasional emails, but you don't really understand what's happening. Probably the same as property managers. People well, I mean, there's always in diff- every profession there's, you know, people who are great, there's people who are average, yeah. people who are good and things like that. So I imagine the amazing ones are doing all these extra things. Yeah, I guess yeah but there's not many the- in Strider, unfortunately. It's not really a profession no. that's like, yeah. you're right about what you're saying, Chris, but unfortunately in Strider, because the barrier to entry has been quite low, it's really unfortunately not sort of, Oh, I've got the same issue with buyer's agents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess the, the learning here for buyers is that if you have bought into a building and the strata is not really managing it in a way that's really getting the best result for the building, yep. and don't be fearful about changing your strata management. Oh, no, you know, definitely if, not. You know, get, get the voice in there, get to the meetings, yep. yeah. find some alternative yeah. options. And see what's happening. Yeah, and see, is it the manager, is it the committee? Like, yeah. you know, maybe the, yeah. the manager's trying, but the committee's sort of blocking every attempt. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. come to the meetings because you can, you can yes. come to the meetings and you can listen. Yeah. Even though you're not on the strata committee, you can come to a meeting as an owner and listen to what's happening. Yeah. yeah. But then you can apply to join if you're an yeah. owner. Well, only if there's a, like, at the AGM, that's where the election takes place mm. of the committee. But if there's a vacancy, someone resigns or sells and there's yeah. a vacancy, you can join. But the number is actually set at the beginning. Maximum of nine, right? Nine, yeah. And, you know, some buildings are like cartels. Yeah, oh, my God. You know, there, there are some buildings. And, and you, I can see that quite often in the Strata Report <laughs> I too. I love that. Cartel. It's, it's exactly what yeah. happens. <laughs> there was one property I looked at for a client some years ago in Darling Point and it was Really interesting because there was no money in the sinking fund and yet they had, you know, a pool and they had a whole range of their lift. They had really expensive things that could go wrong. And then I look back in the history and they had a history of raising special levies whenever they needed anything done, right? So they just did not want to put money in there having it sitting there. They wanted it in their own bank accounts. That's what they say yep. to me often. Why should I have it sitting there getting no interest when, yeah. I, can have, when I can use the money? And invested elsewhere. But the thing was that they had this, and they had, you know, they had barristers and SCs and, you know, seriously. Mm. And everyone, everyone wants and, to be in charge. Oh, yeah. They and, all know more than you. <laughs> and this one, and this one was classy because what they did, so they put solar heating in for the pool and it was basically they, a couple of people just decided they were doing it. They voted it in and then just slapped a special levy on everyone. Everyone was forced to pay <laughs> because a few people decided they needed solar heating. And it was like that was the culture of that building. Mm. And I said to my client, you know what? Yeah, sure. Stuff gets done. Sure. Your levies are low. That's why your levies are low. You get whacked with special levies whenever someone else decides they want to do something. Mm. It's on their agenda, not yours. Don't buy into that building. Yeah, exactly, because especially if you're not in that intellectual league of that yeah. building, I'll definitely have a go at you, Third which happens. Choice. Yeah, And I think also in my more prestige buildings, I find that obviously people are very successful in their own lives and in their own professions. And they run the building as if they're the CEO of mm. the building. It's like, no, no, not your employees. It is a democratic, it's a democratic process to an extent. Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing them a whole lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Please, Amanda, help our listeners out here. Give us an example of a property dumbo. We can all learn what not to do from these stories. Yeah, so I've got actually two examples. One was um, someone that actually bought into an apartment building and they actually had a pet and they didn't realise that in the bylaws you couldn't have a pet. So this person, you know, this is quite a strong building in terms of cartel, as you were mentioning. Um, They tried to then 
get a bylaw put on the next AGM, which they did to our pets, and that got, that got squashed. That person who'd bought this really expensive apartment had to end up basically renting it out elsewhere because it would not entertain having a pet there. Another one I had um, last year. Just while you're there, that's happened exactly the same thing to a client of mine. Oh, there you go. And fortunately, they approved the dog because it's uh, a little dog and they went through so much pain and stress, but they oh. finally got approved. They, they just spent $900,000 on an apartment and so it was too late. Mm. They couldn't do any. Mm. Luckily, they got the result. The dog's there. They're happy. No, no, this yeah. building. But this person hasn't. Oh, my God. They're renting it out. So they bought their home, but it's not their home because their dog's more important. Or they and also, they've got, you know, they've got CCTV cameras. They could see that this person, like it's not. A dog. I mean, let me tell you, it's like. As an animal lover and a pet lover, that's ridiculous. The building should allow pets, but anyway. Yeah, no. That, well, a lot of people said at the <laughs> meeting when that was being contested, they said, well, you know, a lot of people said, we bought into this building because you couldn't have pets. Yeah. That's why oh. I bought in. So if you're going to change it, then I don't want. So again, you mm. have this conflict of, of needs by different types of, you know, the elderly people didn't want dogs, younger people wanted the dogs. And so that buyer, did they do a strata report? Well, I don't know. I don't recall them doing one, so I can't say. But I know another example I have was where someone did a report, but they actually relied on – sorry, they didn't do a report themselves. They relied on the vendor's report. Oh. Again, I thought, I don't know, again, why would you do that? But that's another story. And so after she'd purchased the property, she, she rang me and said, well, you know, why are the levies still high? You know, I know there's a fire order, but I, you've already raised the levy. They're already high. And I said, no, if you look at the AGM minutes, I don't know – She'd, if she'd had or someone had explained them to her or the searcher had actually put in the report. But those levies were continuing for another three quarters at that high rate. And she said to me, but if I'd known this, I would have actually negotiated a better price with the vendor because if I knew the survey was continuing at a high rate, she thought it was just a one-off for the fire order. And the unfortunate thing with the fire order is that tenders that had been obtained were three years old. So we don't even have current pricing. So we're just you know, raising levies on an estimate. So they could even be higher. So this woman spent, I think, over $2 million in the lower North Shore. I don't think she even lives here. I think she, like, did it remotely. I don't think she lives in the country. I think she must have been, I don't know who she was using oh. to um, facilitate her purchase, but right on the vendor's report. And I actually read the, she gave me a copy of it, which was interesting because I never get to see them. Mm. So the first time I thought, oh, and then I realised that there were some errors in there and I thought, oh, I mean, I wasn't, I can't, I'm not going to say anything now. It's, she's already done the, too late. you know, too late. I mean. And so important just to make sure you know absolutely everything about the building, the history, the strata. Yeah. You, uh, once, you, once you're in, you're in. So, yeah, you know. That's right. Not, and it's expensive to get out. Yep. You unless, can't yeah, unless you have a good story like your friend that went <laughs> <laughs> out with a, like yeah. getting more than he, than he thought he'd get. Well, that's yeah. relying on luck. That yeah. is luck. Likewise. Those people that buy into Strata without doing their due diligence, they're also relying on luck. Yeah. And is just not enough luck going around. No. So I wouldn't rely no, on luck. Definitely not. No. No, 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 no. Please ignore that story. <laughs> <laughs> Look, thank you so much for coming in, Rena. This has been so informative. And as we find in so many of our episodes when we do interview people that are experts in their field, you just lift the veil and really just give us a, an inside peek. And, and it is a peek because, you know, we could have a podcast on about five different topics that we've even just touched on today. But yeah. thank you so much. I'm sure that the listeners will really get a lot out of it and I'd love to get you back at a future time. We'll pick a topic and we'll deep dive. Would you be up for that? That would be fantastic. And thank you for having me. It's been a Thanks, pleasure. Rena. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. 
You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? Thank you.